Salutations, Mets fans. Welcome to this week's edition of Mason Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, as we enter play on Tuesday night, the Atlanta Braves have chased Marlins starter Matt Latos from the game. I believe he gave up about seven runs in two-thirds of an inning. As we all know, Matt Latos has a cat named Cat Latos, which I'm obligated to mention every time Matt Latos comes up here on the podcast or elsewhere. But if you could give if you could give a pet to anyone met and name that pet for said met, what pet would you give and what would you name it? And to whom would you give it? It's a very complicated question. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. I think I'm gonna give because he's he's slow. I'm going to give Wilmer Flores a pet sloth. Interesting. Then, I don't know if you're going to go yeah. turtle or rabbit or... Yeah, sloth. I don't know why because it's the first thing that popped into my head when you told me this question about uh, 30 seconds ago. So I'm going to go with the pet sloth because they're adorable and, you know, the uh, the name makes sense. But I'm going to name it UZR. That's quite the... Uh, you might be reaching a bit there. So he is a. Uh, he already has one defensive run saved. I found out on Twitter today. So he is on pace. Yesterday. Yeah, he's on pace for 162 defensive runs saved this year. Maybe you can call him a user or user or something like that. I think as long as they keep hitting balls directly at Wilmer Flores, he's having a very good defensive season. Yeah. I am gonna give a pet to Sean Gilmartin. You might ask, Jeffrey, why are you giving a pet to Sean Gilmartin? Mm. And the answer to that question is very simple. I feel like we don't know anything about Sean Gilmartin. That's There's sort of no true. character here. You know, lefties always sort of need to have a bit of a character to them. It helps, I think. You sort mm. of associate lefty relievers with being a little weird. Like Tim Burdak. Tim Burdak. You know, Jerry Blevins's MS Paint avatar. Yes. Just sort of, I mean, like, sort of a sense of humor about themselves, maybe a little bit more than other players. Um, so I'm going to get uh, Sean Gilmartin an iguana he can just put on a leash and walk around the uh, clubhouse with. <laughs> why not? Yeah. yeah. It's like something, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, you know, it's like a lefty thing to do, I feel like. And like I said, Blevins already has the MS Paint avatar. Alex Torres has the weird hat. Let's give Sean Gilmartin an iguana on a leash. Yeah, something to let him, you know, stand out. This is episode 112 of Amazing Avenue Audio. We're pretty quiet this week. Of course, we have our big live espectacular at Foley's on West 33rd Street in Manhattan. And this Saturday, 3 p.m., I will be there. Greg will be there. Chris will be there. Uh, other people will hopefully be there listening to it, <laughs> ideally. Um, and that'll be your podcast for next week, assuming nothing crazy happens in the interim. We figured we should do something this week, and uh, the Mets are undefeated. So that's cool. As they usually are. After opening day, yes. That is yeah. usually what happens. More often than not. And often, also more often than not, after opening day, uh, their closer's injured. <laughs> really just the last two years, but it's, a, it's a, becoming a trend. As Henry Mejia's on the 15-day DL with triceps Inflammation. Eric Goodell is up from Vegas, so we never actually... I mean, I assume he got to Vegas at some point. Never actually pitched for Vegas. They like all the affiliates 
kickoff Thursday night. So I'll be joining the bullpen in the short and possibly medium term. But we'll start with, uh, when we get to the bad news, we'll start with the good news. The Mets are uh, on pace to go 162-0, Greg. You think they'll do it? It's possible. <laughs> it's still in play. On pace. On pace. I haven't bothered to look up their magic number yet. But we always sort of get like the the euphoric high after opening day, because as you said, they win more often than not. And it was, a, I mean... And then I they're get, off the next day. And then they're off the next day, so we just sit here recording a podcast. <laughs> I should put on MLB TV in the background, but there's really nothing great on the uh, on the slate right now. Unless you like seeing the Braves get, or the Marlins get whomped, which is, uh, you know, fine, granted. I'm certainly not against that. Apparently Kevin Gaussman's pitching out of the pen and throwing 100 miles an hour. That's pretty cool. No. I don't know if that's the best use of Kevin Gossman, but no, I don't Orioles so. aren't great at developing pitching prospects. Yeah. Historically I've speaking. Email, I, I emailed my buddy who's an Orioles fan. I'm trying to figure out what the heck they're doing with Gossman. They're also only pitching Dylan Bundy three innings at a time again. Yeah, they're doing that again, huh? Yeah. It's like it's 2012 all over again, which is appropriate since this is episode 112. There you go. Amazing Avenue Audio. I don't have a good title for it. I'll come up with one at some point. I feel like now I'm looking at... Our, I feel like the, they've just started recording my audio now. I'm trying out a new audio recorder this week. I have no idea if it's working. And now my audio has just started to show up, which seems odd. <laughs> so this is where the podcast starts, maybe. Maybe. This might be where the podcast starts. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So what was your favorite memory from opening day? Or how did you, did you get to watch it? Or were you stuck at work? Or Well, I, was, I listened to the first three innings, and then I... Left work about 10 to 5, and then I basically ran home and got home in front of the TV for the bottom of the fifth. And so I got I got home for all the good stuff, you know, okay. like uh, the Duda and all that stuff. Yeah, I was stuck at work in an MLB TV blackout zone, so I was listening to Howie and Josh with the call for the entire game. But uh, what was your favorite moment from opening day? Well, it's got to be the, the Duda double. Because you got that gift with Desmond coming over and letting the ball drop, and, and who, who knows what the heck he was doing. But you needed you needed a big hit. You needed to take advantage against a uh, probable Cy Young candidate. And um, not if you read the Washington Times this morning. No, I don't know why you would do that, but if you did, <laughs> yeah. No, well. Hey, you got you got to take advantage of those types of situations. Um, they were given a, gifted an opportunity, and he was able to cash it in, and that was very exciting. And and Darno hit a triple off of Scherzer, which was also exciting. And but probably yeah, dude, do, do, you know, due to coming through in the clutch, it was a great moment. I think I'm obligated to also mention that uh, Juan Lagares probably catches that Travis Darno triple. Mm. And Taylor's not a bad center fielder either, but no, not Juan Lagares. That was like a foot away from leaving the ballpark, too. It's true. Like I said, people, Darno's got some serious pop. Yeah, and it, he it, hits balls not, hard. He's not a big guy. You know? No, he's not. I mean, he's like, he's built like a catcher. Yeah. I would say my favorite moment, and this is kind of cheating, it's not really a moment moment per se, was just the whole Bart Yolo experience. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was one inning he got out of a pretty serious jam with a he's, couple of strikeouts. He's 41 years old. Yeah. 
it's kind of, and I watched like the condensed game afterwards, and and now my mic apparently isn't showing up again. So let's see how that goes. Um, but he just had like really good movement on the fastball. Oh yeah, and it's almost like he can do whatever he wants with it. It's it's very it's fun to watch when it's going well. Yeah. I mean, like, he gave a, a bomb to Harper, but Harper's going to get his against better pitchers than Bart Yolo, certainly. But just, it's like, it's, I feel like he'd almost have, like, a sneaky good season for them this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have it in front of me, but I, he had a decent, you know, FIP last year. If he could pitch closer to that than his actual ERA was last year, perfectly, uh, perfectly prominent. And the bullpen certainly acqu- acquitted itself well, uh, up until you know Henry Mejia having issues getting warmed up. Yeah. Carlos Torres got an appearance, the first of many, to be sure. See if he breaks a hundred innings this year. There wasn't much from the offense, but again, you're going against Max Scherzer, so he really hold that against them. Terry Collins set out a weird lineup that may not have been Terry Collins's lineup. Is that a big? Is that like what's that? Is that a story now? I mean, it will be because it's something to talk about. But it, it, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm actually pretty. I'm happy with it. But as far as you know, just I'm, I care only as much as I can actually care about who sets the lineup. It's just not that big a deal. We'll see if he adjusted at all against lefties. I'm not convinced that'll happen. But I don't think they face a lefty for a while. I guess they probably face one against Atlanta this weekend at some point. But I haven't looked it up. I think Alex Wood is a lefty. He is. I think he also pitched... Today. Today, so I don't know if he's going to go in that series. Yeah. I don't know, is that even their opener? I can't keep track of other teams. They must have played yesterday. Yeah, I would assume so. I just don't remember it actually happening. Because I was obsessed with the Mets opening day. Yes. Which, as uh, as reported on this podcast, was pretty good. And we got Jacob Degrom going against Steven Strasburg in Game Two. Matt Harvey on Getaway Day that might get rained out, which is fine. So I'm realizing that it's a Dylan G start at Foley's on Saturday, which is fine because I'll be well in the tank at that point. It won't really matter, but it would not have been my first choice. Yeah, I'm going to be disappointed if uh, there's some changes in the schedule because I do have tickets to the second Mets game currently scheduled to be a Matt Harvey start. Right. And it's okay. They really want it to be a Matt Harvey start, too. So. Oh, yeah. As we well hey, know. If he gets bumped one day, then... Yeah, that's true. Double the ticket sales. And it's the vagaries of April weather in the Northeast, I suppose. Of course, the bad news coming out of opening day is the Mets have lost a closer again. Henry Mejia had issues getting warmed up or getting loose in the ninth. I got so excited because I thought they were actually going to properly leverage their lefty one-out guy in a big spot in the ninth, but it probably just happened because Henry Mejia was hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all saw Blevins coming out there and we're like, oh, this is great. But so for all the wrong reasons. So but Mejia, that might be something that they have to do going forward now. Yeah, it might be. 
I mean, if Familia's going to be the closer, they should especially do that uh, when possible. But we will get to that as Henry Mejia went back to New York for an MRI on his elbow, which revealed triceps inflammation. He'll go on the 15-day DL. But there's no uh, ligament tear that they've seen as of yet. Obviously, when the inflammation goes down, that can reveal other things. But he had a fairly normal spring up until the last weekend. It could just be one of those things that happens to pitchers that aren't serious, but not that serious. But in the short term, it looks like Rafael Montero will be the seventh inning guy, which is, I guess, now a position that exists. Carlos Torres will pitch the eighth every day, when we know he's going to pitch one inning every day, so it might as well be the eighth. And Jay Urisfamilia will be the closer. So we'll start at the end, as it were. Is Familia the best choice in the short to potentially medium term to close games for this team? I think so. I think so. I mean, he's got... His stuff is pretty special when when he's got it working in the zone, you know, with the fastball and the slider and all that. Um, I mean, there there is that issue of him being unable to get out left-handed batters, so you you can't be in a situation where you're like, Familia is the closer, so the closer closes and pitches the ninth inning. And like I said, I think you need to leverage um, the excess of left-handed arms that you have in the pen uh, if, if such a situation a tough matchup in, in the ninth inning, and you need to, you, you can't. I don't think you can have Familia pitching to a lefty, a good lefty, in a tough, in a you know high leverage spot. Um, so. I think he's the best option, but you, know, you can't just be like, hey, here's the ninth inning. Go get him. Yeah, you would hope that sort of the lack of a quote-unquote proven closer might force slash allow, depending on what your perspective is, the Mets field staff to be a little more creative. And luckily, I mean, there's only so many situations where you're going to be able to start the ninth with Jerry Blevins, and it's going to be a lefty that a team won't pinch hit for. The Nationals aren't going to pitch for pinch hit for Bryce Harper in that spot. You know, if Freddie Freeman's leading off, if Ryan Howard is leading off, I mean, they should pinch hit for Ryan Howard, but they've shown no inclination to do so. Um, you know, you may have to manage that a little differently. Um, so it's not going to be like J.R. Familia is, you know, not going to face, uh, you know, Denard Span and Denard Span's out there. He's not going to face Matt Decker. He did face Matt Decker, in fact. Mm. But yeah, that split worries me. And it's something that's backed up by the stuff. I mean, he's a fastball slider guy. And he throws a lot of two-seamers. You know, two-seamer slider, you know, sinker slider guys tend to have platoon splits because, especially right-handers, because those pitches, when your command is not fine and Familia's isn't in a lot of cases, um, before we even get into sort of his control issues, which are, are separate. Um, you know, if your command's not fine, sink or slider, a lot of those balls settle down and into lefties, which is sort of the traditional lefty power zone. So there's that, certainly. I think the platoon split, maybe if it's even not as bad as last year, might still linger to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, it's not... The stuff is great. I mean, it, it, it's bowling ball, fastballs in the mid-90s, when he harnesses that slider, it's a easy plus. Uh, but he has control issues, yeah. and when it goes for him, it goes. It's it. It can get ugly fast. Um, you know, you yeah. can tell pretty quickly whether he has it or not. And you know that's okay. You can 
you can deal with a closer or any sort of high leverage reliever that maybe walks 10, 12, 14% of batters. That might be pushing it even for me. He's got to be striking out quite a few. Right. You have to be striking it. In that case, you got to be like basically Armando Benitez, who, well, Mets fans don't remember fondly, was, you know, really you, you take an Armando Benitez season from Familia at this point, I think, without much uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. The problem is that's not really Familia's profile, at least hasn't been so far. He does miss bats, but, you know, last year, which was a good season, he walked about 10% of the batters he faced, and he struck out about 23%, which is, you know, fine for a high-leverage reliever. It's not special, it's not elite by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the problem is when the balls that are going in play, they're going on the ground. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, there's enough contact there. He's going to walk enough guys where, you know, you're relying on Flores and Murphy to make plays and turn double plays. And it's just a little, it's a little dicey. It's a little dicey. A little, a little dicey. Um. You know, he doesn't have, like, that elite strikeout rate. And look, there's not that many Craig Kimbrels out there. There's not that many Aroldis Chapmans. You know, Kenley Jansons. Those guys, you know, not every team has one of those. And I don't know that the Mets necessarily have a better internal option right now. You know, Carlos Torres actually has a fairly similar profile. Uh, as far as strikeouts, walks, batted ball goes. Yeah, I think you're also... Banking on him taking a little bit of a step forward after having a full year in the, in the bullpen and, you know, with the stuff that he does have, we're just kind of hoping, I guess, that that stuff takes a, a, you know, another step forward and he's able to settle into the role. Because some people kind of thought that last year, you know, maybe he was the better guy to be pitching the ninth over, over Mejia. And, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, having to leverage the ninth inning and with, with different guys, you know, there were some innings, there were some ninth innings last year where Mejia w- would lose his stuff. And I can remember on a couple of occasions, you know, Terry going out there and getting them. So I have, I have a little bit of confidence that they're going to be able to work this, uh, the right way. Yeah, we'll see. Um, because there's no sort of slam dunk choice here, they can get a little creative. Maybe, um, you know, maybe if you'd, I guess Dax Thornton, they didn't bring him up for starters. And that profile is not, you know, any situation where you're going to use Zach Thornton, you might as well just use Familia anyway, because the stuff's better. But they can get a little more creative with how they manage the 8th and ninth inning now. And again, I think given your options, Familia is probably the best choice. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd like to see him keep it even after Parnell comes back, assuming Mejia's not back by then, which I don't want to, you know, it may just be nothing. But given Mejia's long and varied injury history, I wouldn't certainly bet on it being nothing. Yeah, something's causing that inflammation. It's all because he cut his hair, man. Yeah, that was the peak. So the other sort of bit of news buried in this is uh, Rafael Montero has gone from... This is classic Terry Collins. Terry's saying that he would use him in late inning. Like he's during the middle of March saying he's definitely... 
throwing his hat in the ring for sort of late inning work to, oh no, we're only going to use him in multi-innings backing up our starters, to he's our seventh inning guy. Yeah. So I'm a little, I don't know. I, I said on the podcast before I would have preferred he went down to, to Vegas and started and stayed stretched out because odds are one of your pitchers is going to get hurt in the first six weeks or Dylan G is going to get traded or whatever. Something's going to happen. But specifically now they're going to basically use him in a one-inning role. It's going The longer this goes on, the more difficult it is going to be to get him stretched out quickly. And he's a guy that's never pitched in any over any long period of time in short relief before. And those that's seventh true. innings, you know, you could be bringing him in in the middle of an inning. Your seventh inning guy did, would tend to come in the middle of innings more than your eighth inning guy as a general rule. So you're going to bring him in with runners on base. You're going to have to get him warmed up fast. I just it makes me a little leery, and I, I don't see why he gets that spot over, say, Alex Torres, who's got a little bit longer track record. I agree. I mean, well, I, I agree to extent, an extent. I mean, I'm not as high on Alex Torres as some other people, but um, I think that Montero could. I think he could do well in this role. His fastball play up a little bit. Um, the slider's been looking better in spring training. Got a little bit more bite on it. Uh, I think that it's a good. I think it's a good opportunity for him to learn how to get major leaguers out. I mean, hopefully not learn. Hopefully just get them out. Uh, you don't want him learning on the job that much. But he's one of your better pitchers, I think, in in the organization. And if you have him down in Vegas, you know you have all these other pitchers down in Vegas. Um, you know, I I, I will just sure. point out that Darren Gorski and Tyler Pill are making starts for Vegas. So yeah, it's not like there's not a spot there if you want to make it. You know, the hope is that you don't have an injury within the first three weeks. Okay, by then you've delayed any kind of service time issues with Syndergaard or Mets. Um, you've delayed their free agency by a year if that's important to you. So yeah, you have you have reinforcements down there, even without Montero. So I, I think it's good to have him being in the major league, giving you value on the major league team. Um, although you know, like you said, you're leery of it. That makes sense because he hasn't really done it before in the majors. Uh, he's had limited success, but mostly uh, you know, some ups and downs as a starter. So it's a new role. Um, I'm hopeful that it's going to work out. And it's entirely possible that just due to depth of arms, he there's a he ends up in the bullpen anyway because that's where the spot is for him. You know, in the medium term, in the long term. Um, I just think right now, eh, I don't know, I'm a little, I've always sort of, I don't say I've always been higher on Montero, but I think I, I didn't react as strongly to his struggles last year and everything he showed me this spring, showed me that the skill set is still there to be like a number four starter in the majors, and the Mets could use one of those right now. Right. I don't think that the book is closed on him as a starter. I just think it's going going back and forth to starting, to short relief, back to starting. I mean, I guess you can do it once if he doesn't stick there much past Memorial Day. But it's just always... It's a, it's a small frame. There's some effort in the delivery. I don't like disrupting his routine. And again, it's sort of like the what's more valuable, a four-starter or a, a good setup man... Yeah, I mean, I get, certainly get that argument, too. I'm, again, a little bit 
you know, I look a little askance at the idea that his stuff's going to play up in the pen because there's not like that one great secondary pitch. You know, I think the fastball velocity will take up, but there's not really a, a swing and miss. You know, it's not, he's not like a two pitch guy where he can just drop that. There, not, it's not Jay or Samilia where the changeup just never got there. But he's got a plus slider and a plus fastball. You know, Montero's got yeah. You know, all told, once you factor in the velocity bump plus his in the pen plus his command profile, yeah, it's a plus fastball, maybe even a sixty-five fastball. You know, the sli- the changeup's fringy. The slider's very fringy, though it's looked. It's flashed average more in the spring than I've seen it flash there in the past. So maybe something happens there in short bursts. But it's not like a traditional starter to relief conversion where it's like, just throw a fastball on your slider and, and don't worry about it. It's true. It's true. But hey, look, the sliders look better and the change had good results last year. So maybe there's maybe there's a good profile there. As Eric Simon would say, only time will tell. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about it. The Mets have only played one game, so... <laughs> uh, I don't know, I watched a few innings of the A's game before I fell asleep, and Sonny Gray had excellent socks. I saw... I didn't see the socks, but I saw people talking about the socks. The socks were amazing. I want to, like... Because uh, Gabriel Yanoa wears similar high socks... So I want yeah. I want him to get the same design. It's like basically they were, I think they were all yellow with like three or three green horizontal stripes at the top. It was a nice look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to Google it right now. I'm sure it's all over the place. Oh yeah, there it is. Oh, that's good. It is good. I mean, they're not stirrups, so they're only really plus plus. They can't. Go, I can't go the full eighty unless they're stirrups. But you could do the same thing with you know what you says like the high blue socks. Give them some orange stripes. Be a nice look. Yeah. Hey, speaking of you know, he's he's pitching in in Binghamton this year. He is. He's starting game three, which if the schedule holds, I will see him at the opener uh, in New Hampshire at the end of the month. I'm guessing the schedule will probably be seven. There'll be seven rainouts between now and then. But it could be a snow out. <laughs> certainly could happen as well. But uh, that means he'll uh, he'll be pitching the Saturday game against Akron, which will be on MILB TV, so I'll probably have it on my phone while we're recording the live podcast. So when are you going uh, to Binghamton? I'm actually going up to New Hampshire at the end of the month. Ah, uh, New Hampshire, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that, yeah, that schedule's not Because, long. yeah, it's, a, it's like, yeah. it would be his third turnaround. I mean, if they only have a couple of rainouts, he would be due to pitch the opener of a four-game series. So it's it's likely I'll see you, Noah. Well, how many games are you seeing? Four. Oh, I mean, I would have a two out of three shot anyway, but the way it currently lines up, it's whatever. It's Cook. I mean, if it stays the same, I would miss Cook and Lara, which would be okay. Is that how we uh, pronounce his name? Uh, I believe it's Cook, yeah. Cook. Right. And clearly, I'm an, I'm an expert on these kind of things, so you should definitely take my word for it that it's Cook. Yeah, I, was, I actually wasn't even in my, uh, my guesses. I was going Koch or Coke. I thought I saw it as Cook in the... Uh, Brooklyn Cyclones media guide from a few years back. But I believe that same media guide also had it as Yanoa, and every pronunciation I've heard of it since then has been Inoa. Hmm. So I don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. 
I mean, the more Yanoa only really works if it's, you know, Yanoa. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, we can just keep calling him whatever we want. Yeah, it's, even, it's so. really never, never I stopped mean, us before. I, I think I don't think we even still have figured out how to pronounce Gazelman. No, it's Gazelman. It is Gazelman. Yes, he okay. said it in the, uh, whatever, the AMA on the site. So I'm going to take his word for it. <laughs> it's like the same conversation I had with Rob after Chikini got drafted. I was like, are we, what are we sure what this is? I'm like, Rob's like, no, no, I asked his mom. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I guess if it's a family member, then yeah, you got to take their word for it. Yeah. It's face value. So I guess as it stands right now, this will obviously change between now and the 23rd of April. I'd be seeing, uh, you know, uh, Seth Lugo, John Gant, and Louis Sessa in some order. Which is pretty cool. That's not that's bad. Not, that's not true who I'm going to end up seeing. I'm supposed to be Michael Fulmer's on some sort of DL, I guess. As usual. Yeah. Might be activated by then, might not. And the the Mets re-upped their uh, association there. To 2020, which is weird, because I don't know if that team's going to be there in 2020. They're already supposedly on the market again, and I don't know how that story ends. Because they don't draw at all. No. The stadium needs upgrades. And I like going to Binghamton. I don't do it as much as I used to because New Hampshire is closer for me um, by about two hours. And the hotels are cheaper. But I like, you know, I like Binghamton. It's what I like if they, what I love, would I like anything more than for them to be in the Hartford Yard Goats in two years, of course. That would be great. On a number of levels, that would be awesome. Yeah. I'm going to buy all the Yard Goats merchandise anyway, but whether they're a Mets affiliate or not. But, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's it's good for Binghamton. You know, I have a, I have a soft spot for Bingo, certainly. I just don't know how feasible this is long-term. You know, I, I, do they stay somewhere in upstate New York? Sorry, western New York or upstate New York. Somewhere in New York State. It's upstate New York. Yeah, I know. It's Long Island. It's the city, and it's upstate. Maybe, maybe you'd throw Westchester County in there, too, if you really want I, I to be. I would a, throw Westchester in Fine, it's so Long Island, the city, Westchester, upstate. Yeah, I know. I'm as bad about that as anyone else, but... You know, do they go to... You know, do you move a, put a double-A team in Albany? I mean, it makes sense. Build a stadium, right? Well, the Tri-City's there. I don't know how nice that stadium is. Some sort of story. I mean, back when they were supposed to move to Ottawa, the story was that they were going to move to Ottawa and the Binghamton group was going to buy the Batavia team and move that to Binghamton as like a New York Penn League team. Though I, I had, I, I don't know who actually is moving to West Virginia. I had assumed it had been the Batavia team. I don't know who that actually ended up being. I don't follow the, the, the movers and shakers in the Penn League that closely. But I imagine it's tough because uh, the, that whole region is just kind of um, you know, a lot of history there, but it's just not. And know, I mean, they've been, that. you know, like that piece. Uh, there was a good piece on the site. Yeah, uh, and they've, they're the longest sort of serving affiliate at this point, I think. It's been since what the early nineties. Yeah, their twentieth anniversary was a couple of years ago, so it was either like ninety-two or ninety-three. I think they started there. And like I said, I have a soft spot where I like my speedies. There's that one restaurant 
I go to. That's true of like all the Eastern League cities. There's just like one restaurant nearby I can go to. It's true in New Hampshire too. When I go to New Hampshire, I eat all my meals in the same place, like breakfast and dinner, basically. Um, I don't know what it'd be for New Britain. Obviously, I live in this area, so I can just go wherever. But I don't know if, if I were visiting New Britain from afar with the one. I guess there's that German place. That's supposedly pretty good. I would probably like drink beer out of a boot after oh, a German game or something. I do. I have a soft spot for German food, certainly. I don't know what else would be in that area. There's not much over there. I think something that's reasonably close. I mean, you can go to the Turnpike and get some places. But actually, in that section of New Britain, I can't think of anything else other than the German place. Yeah, I'm not much of a Connecticut guy. I grew up in Jersey. Okay, I'll ask you then, because Aaron kind of dodged the question. Uh, I guess last week. Yeah. Is it just like a... Only Jersey people like are very specific about Northern Jersey, Central Jersey, Southern Jersey. I actually think that this is a sensitivity of people who live in the middle to Southern part. And I think that they get like kind of uh, irritated by where you draw the line between Southern and Central Jersey. Mm -hmm. I think because I, I grew up in North Jersey and it's just North Jersey. It's not even controversy you know, in Bergen County. So, um, but yeah, I see. I, I, I see mean, it's it on, not a big state. You can drive through it in like three hours. It's not. No. Yeah, it's it's a weird. Um, it's a weird state, also in terms of uh, fandom and all that kind of stuff. Because if you get when you get to a certain point, it becomes more Philly people than you know New York, and it's just uh, all kinds of weird down there. I mean, that's everything down there is all you know Southern Jersey. I don't really think about it too much, you know. <laughs> I suppose before we wrap up, we should do our weekly IFK Gothenburg update. Oh, yeah. Very important. Um, IFK Gothenburg, still undefeated as the official soccer team of the podcast. Wow. How many games is that? Uh, I think that's either four or five on the trot. Right. But they kicked off their... Uh, Allsvenskan Liga campaign this past weekend with a 1-0 victory, which I and I watched it. I I absolutely wow. I did. It was I was up anyway. It was 9 a.m. on a Sunday. Okay. Um. I found a uh, stream of questionable legality. It's what one does, I guess. As you do. As you do. But yeah, against uh, Evitasburg FF, they're kicking off the Ausvenskan season. So, uh, and wait, it, it, it off. Yeah, it was the first game of the season. Oh, wow. So they're, they're on a different schedule. Yeah, they're a summer league. I guess it's Sweden. that makes sense because they're all the way up there. Yeah. The, uh, it was definitely more of a dominant performance than the 1-0 scoreline would suggest. But they uh, scored on a nice set piece. Basically a free header at the box. Just sort of saw the game out from there. So, yeah, they have. I, thought a, I saw a uh, an article recently on another. I think it was a Swedish team where the the, the general manager or whatever you, you call the general manager of a soccer team was uh, heavily into computer stats and just building a team entirely through that. Did you see anything about a, that? There's a few different teams that are like that. I know there is one team in the Swedish league. I know. Uh, I think Brentford in the in the championship is like that as well. Um. 
but yeah, there are a few. And I think the term, the technically the term you're looking for is. Uh, oh God, I've drank too much of this old fashioned. But uh, uh, director of football oh, okay. is technically the term for uh, sort of GM in in soccer terms. But yeah, it's not a. That isn't uncommon. I'm sure Anders will send me an email about this once he hears it. Yeah. I can't remember who it is. But they're playing tomorrow against Ouroboro SK. I believe they already beat in the uh, Spenska Kupen. But they're on the road. So I'll... Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to check that out at work or not. I probably won't. But I'll keep an eye on it on Twitter. Since I follow IFK Gothenburg on Twitter. Unsurprisingly, they tweet only in Swedish. <laughs> Which makes it a little difficult to follow what's going on sometimes. And the Swedish translations, because Twitter will translate it for you. The translations aren't always great. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, let's say... So here's a... Okay, here's a random one. I'll pull up. So you can, you can create a uh, your own IFK Gothenburg account that just translates everything. I suppose I could. Yeah. You want to build the following, you know. I don't know if there's a market for that. I don't know if there's a market for a Mets podcast talking about Swedish soccer and Mountain Goats albums, but here we are. Hey, there's there's a lot of cat crossover in Mets stuff, you know. Jorgen Lenetzern at the press conference. We are satisfied with the victory. That's the most important thing in a prime. With prime. I'm pretty sure that's in, in the first game, because it's Premier. Uh-huh. I don't know. But there was a fun one, like, before they, uh... Like, before the season started, there was one tweet out. It's like... They translated it, it's like, the stadium will be on fire April 5th. I'm like, it's not good. I want it to be on fire. <laughs> I'm sure you're just translating this literally, but... I will say I did get to see lots of eBay in the front in the flesh, and he's he's quite the he's a very good striker. He's definitely he just sort of plays wherever. He just wanders around, doing what he feels like. He's a, definitely a pest. I was impressed. All right, cool. And uh, the the previously mentioned uh, Gustav Engel, who's like eighteen, like this must just be like a Swedish thing, but he doesn't look like he's eighteen. And they're all just like gorgeous Scandinavian blonde people, like on the entire team. <laughs> So like just like in shape, gorgeous Scandinavian blonde people. They're all they're like twenty four. I suppose that shouldn't surprise me. No, it really shouldn't. Probably. So that was just like a weird experience from like watching British soccer, where there's a bunch of pasty dudes with bad haircuts. <laughs> we'll definitely keep you informed. We'll have another update on the live podcast once again at Foley's this weekend, Saturday at three, West Thirty Third. You can take the uh, I guess it's the sixth. The 34th Street stop, or, you know, best route to Herald Square, however you would get there. Come on, stop by. We'll be podcasting from 3 on. Ted Berg will be there talking about more small sample size nonsense. And we'll stick around to watch the Mets game. Yes, Atlanta at 7. And a good time will be had by all. And that'll be your podcast for next week, barring uh, Henry Mejia's arm falling off in the interim. And we've gotten just about 40 minutes, which is my goal for this week's show. Nice job, us. Nice job, us. We'll call it. I did to stretch out the Swedish soccer section a little bit, but 
Well, not not for the may have been the first time, but it won't be the last. Yeah, and hopefully this recorded. So next time you hear us, we'll be coming live from Foley's on another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. <laughs> <laughs>